You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, David and worship team. It's bad enough anyway, so. Um, Thank you guys. Thank you, Gio and Kyle and Adam and Bob back there. So much of what happens on Sunday morning is a result of the good work that they do, good stuff that happens. Often say that we learn in layers so that you may hear something and it makes no sense at all to you. But later you'll hear it again, and there is a foundation of which you're unaware that has already been established, and you'll learn. So always, no matter what you hear that you understand or don't understand, just, let, just absorb it. We also learn in subconscious ways. And David Calvert does such a wonderful job of picking the perfect songs to go with the text. Now, sometimes... Every once in a while, he's fully unaware. The Holy Spirit puts it together anyway. He doesn't know what I'm going to say, and then there's something. Once again, you may not make the connection, but there are connections being made, whether you know it or not. You may not consciously make the connection. So thank you to David and the worship team, the entire team, what they do. Everyone who serves here, thank you. We don't say goodbye to everybody who leaves grace because... We are in a transient area. People come and go. Uh, typically with elders and deacons, we we do, and others who have served us in very public capacity. And Matt Tamaris, who shared this morning, will be leaving with his family to go to Oklahoma soon. You'll probably hear more about that later. But be sure to take time to uh, say your goodbyes to the Damarises and say goodbye to the others because you might not know when they're going and we're not going to mention it up here. So, right? So, well, next Sunday morning, speaking of deacons, we got one deacon leaving. Uh, we're going to have, Lord willing, seven more coming on. We're going to have deacon affirmation next Sunday morning during the service. There'll be an insert in your bulletin and you'll put that in the back where places will be designated for you to do so. So please be praying about that. We're really excited uh, for this next step in our ministry, and we're excited really for everything that God is doing here. Well, I since it's Thanksgiving break, you've, you've been away from school a little bit. Here's, this is to help you get back into the groove. Got a little multiple choice question for you. Which of the following does not belong? Choose one. Patience, resting, hope, humility, expectation, trust, and waiting. This is a trick question. They all belong. They are all expressions of the same spirit and posture associated with hope, biblical hope. And what a day to think about hope. Today marks the first year of the liturgical church calendar for a lot of the churches in the West. And you may be saying, what do we have to do with the liturgical church? 
A lot of the things that people abused over the years started off as very good. And it's a good thing that we celebrate Advent. That was a beautiful description a while ago by David as to why we celebrate Advent and what it reminds us of. Jesus came to earth the first time and that he's coming again. Um, so he, Jesus' first Advent was some 2,000 years ago. His second Advent will be in 2022. We hope, right? We hope and pray. We anticipate Jesus' second coming with the same kind of, uh, of love and excitement as God's people anticipated the Messiah's rival on the scene to set captives free. People were looking for the Messiah to come and set them free. The liberation that Jesus brought was more spiritual than physical or material. Now, Jesus' appearance was physical, absolutely. He was true flesh and blood, born in the normal way. He was, however, conceived by the Holy Spirit and being 100% God as well as 100% man, he met the necessary requirements for the forgiveness of sins by keeping the law perfectly and then offering himself as that substitute and sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of a holy God against sinners. Just think of all that the Jewish, Jewish leaders, the religious leaders missed when Jesus came. They had this sacrificial system and everybody knew that though there was the day of atonement where sins would be forgiven for the year, that the blood of bulls and goats, as the writer of Hebrews said, could never take away sins. They knew that. And yet all they thought was that Messiah was going to come in and kick around all their opponents and take care of business. Almost everything about Jesus' first advent was unanticipated. From his birth to peasant parents, to his conflict with the religious leaders of the day, to his horrific execution by crucifixion at, crucifixion at the hands of both Gentile and Jewish leaders. After Jesus' resurrection, even his ascension back to heaven was confusing to the disciples. God's ways are often confusing to us as well. We think we have God all figured out. But so often we have failed to comprehend the fullness of his marvelous plan, even knowing as much as we do. We're blindsided by Satan. And I've talked with people who said, I think if Satan gets me, it'll be this way or that way. And I'm thinking, what did you not get about blindsided? And when we're blindsided, it throws our equilibrium entirely off. Therefore, as believers, we are called to trust just trust. That's not always easy, is it? One reason that biblical hope is so difficult to understand and to inhabit is that our hope as Christians has never been fully realized, nor will it be until Jesus' second advent. Living in these times in which we have been placed, putting the words Jesus and hope 
together feels like an assurance that only blue skies and smooth sailing is ahead. This morning, as we read about Jesus' first advent, we will see how many times prayers were answered. But the answers often presented new challenges and new suffering even, which was at times intense. We're going to move around in the New Testament this morning so that our faith might increase as our suffering and anticipation increase while waiting for Jesus' second appearing. We'll begin our time in Matthew 1, though we are not going to stay here for long. This morning's message would please the great English literary critic Samuel Johnson, who said people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. A lot of times we know what's right. We know what's true. But we just need to be reminded. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. And how thankful we are that he has given us his word. As we move through the New Testament this morning, we're going to see time and time again how many men and women were hopeful that God's Messiah would put all things right. Truth told, they expected him. To put, they demanded him to put all things right. Now, from our 30,000 foot view, we can see God working to execute the plan that he established before the world was created. We have his word. We've seen enough through experiences. What seemed to be a horrible thing turned out to be an amazing thing. Or what turned out to be a, what felt like a horrible thing to begin with turned out to be used greatly for the advance of the kingdom. We get all of that. We understand by faith in God's word that everything has happened according to God's plan. 
You be the judge of whether you think it takes more faith to believe that God created the universe or that our planet just happened. And it just happened in such a way, our universe just happened in such a way that our planet is perfectly situated for life. We'll fill in the blanks uh, in Matthew with what we know from Luke. When Gabriel announced the conception and birth of Jesus, at least two people were excited. Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist. We don't know that anybody else was excited about this. And when Joseph heard that Mary was pregnant, his hopes for a quiet and purposeful life were dashed. Even though you know that he must have had a sense of betrayal, and even though for him to publicly call out Mary might have somehow salvaged a little of his dignity and reputation, he planned to quietly break the engagement to save Mary as much embarrassment as possible. Of all the people we meet in Scripture, Joseph may be one of the best. We don't know much about him, but what we do know speaks very highly of him. Gabriel came to Mary. That was quite an encounter. But three other times when things were going on in their lives, the angel of the Lord came to Joseph. And spoke to him. <clears throat> so an angel of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream. Informing him of the hope for Israel that Mary carried in her womb. And Jesus was, I mean Joseph was brought into the center of that hope. Well, Joseph was brought into the center of Mary's shame, more likely. The angel of the Lord, you know, Gabriel could have gone and called a meeting in the city square in Nazareth and said, hey, I just want you to know something big's happening in this little town. But he didn't. He didn't tell anybody else. So Mary and Joseph endured the scorn and mockery that only a small town can deliver. When they arrived in Bethlehem, they weren't looking for a, a hotel in which to stay, as the English translation implies. But rather, they were looking for a relative to put them up into an addition, kind of like a, a, a mother-in-law suite, I believe they call it, or a grandmother, grandpa suite in their home, uh, as the Greek word kataluma implies. More details about that on another day, probably in another year. When Jesus was born in a cave or a stall, it was a sign of total rejection by his family. Now, you know why Joseph was going to Bethlehem, because that's where his relatives were. Just imagine going in, Christmas turkey, Thanksgiving turkey. No, you're not welcome here. Move on. You brought disgrace to our family. When Jesus was born in a cave, they were all alone. The heavens lit up, though, and the shepherds came. So maybe there was something more to this after all. Now there's hope. Let's keep moving. Matthew 2. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Worship him. So, yes, things are looking up. It's like vindication, right? Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, let me just say, if you had lived in Jerusalem under King Herod's rule, when he was troubled, you would be troubled too. It's no telling what's going to happen. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. More hope than verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place Where the child was. When they saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house. They saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell down. Worshipped him. They opened their treasures. And they offered him gifts. Gold. Frankincense. And myrrh. And being warned in a dream. Not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country. By Another way. At every step of the way, Satan sought to destroy the Messiah, and at every step of the way, God protected Jesus. The wise man's appearance meant that everything was going to be okay, right? Verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod when he saw that he had been tricked uh, by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This was fulfilled that might be that that was spoken. By the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. 
Now, if we were reading this story for the first time, could we possibly conclude that the birth of Jesus, the hope of mankind, could lead to the slaughter of an entire town's baby boys? Have you ever felt like the hard times are past and better times have come only to realize with horror that you had not even conceived of the evil that could be visited on you or on those you love? It could be that your good fortune has become the cause of pain for others. So that's the birth of Jesus. Now, fast forward to Jesus' ministry, Passion Week, and his crucifixion. Just imagine how the disciples felt after Jesus was crucified. Expectations were shattered. Hope was gone. Then on the road to Emmaus, two of Jesus' followers encountered the resurrected Savior without knowing that it was him. Luke 24, 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Jesus had come walk beside them and they were having this conversation. He said, what's going on? He said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know that the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned To death and crucified. And we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen Even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went into the tomb and found that it was just as it had been said. But him they did not see. Confusion. Is it good? Is it bad? What's going on? I am reading very slowly, deliberately, I mean deliberately, I'm reading a book called Rubicon, a secular account of the last days of the Roman Republic, which ended officially in 27 BC, but really it was all set in motion when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon River in 47 BC. Tom Holland, the author, who's not a believer, but who is quite impressed with the message and the activities of of Christians, uh, talked about crucifixion. It was seen as a necessary evil by Roman citizens, but they did their best to avoid talking or even think about it. People would be crucified on the main roads in or out of a city as a lesson, but the Romans would try to avoid those ways or just walk with their heads down. Nobody liked to think about crucifixion. There was no greater disgrace than to die by crucifixion. So all the hope that was in Jesus, all the hope that was in Jesus died 
on the cross. But then the resurrection. Hope restored, new plans made. Now Acts 1, beginning with verse 6. Right before Jesus ascended back to heaven. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Hope abounded in their hearts. (coughs) They were speaking with the resurrected Christ. And this is it, right? This is the whole plan. Now you're going to teach those Romans a thing or two. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing in the heavens... To, to, to heaven as, they, as he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that's our hope. This is where we are between Jesus' first and second advents. Our hope is not that we will have good weather for our outdoor gathering or that we will indeed be able to book Sandra McCracken for a spring concert or that the Omicron variant will pass us by and leave us alone. That's not our hope. We hope for those things. Those are good things for which to hope. But that's not our hope. Our hope is that Jesus will come again and we will live with him for eternity. Is it your observation that believers suffer more than unbelievers or that believers have more blessings? The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, we're told. But we have a hope that is eternal, and that makes all the difference in the way that we view the world. Or it should make all the difference in the way that we view the world and the way we process our sufferings. True biblical hope. What does it look like? In our lives. I'm wondering if I can. Do that without disaster. I don't do many things without disaster. But. Maybe the best place to get a sense of what hope is. Is in good old Romans 8. Beginning with verse 18. For I consider. That the sufferings of this present time. Are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Some of you are in a place I've been. Some of you are in a place that many of us have been. Others have not been where you are. Where you never dreamed that suffering could be this intense. It's not even. It's not worth comparing. 
to what's to come. It can't be, it's not even same category. It's going to be so much better. And I don't care what your suffering is. It doesn't matter. It can't be compared. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself, let me just stop right here. Those words together, God subjected the world to futility in hope. He's the only one that can do that. According to his sovereign plan, he subjected the world to futility, which goes, runs the gamut of Serious physical illness to losing your car keys, right? Futile life. There's so much futility in this life. He subjected it to futility. Not willingly, but because of him, it was, or creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together In the pains of childbirth until now. Remember childbirth, ladies? Just imagine, you know, ever how many years and counting. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons for the redemption of our bodies. For in this Hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Either heaven is real or it's not. So let me say that another way. Same thing. Either life has meaning. Or it doesn't. I used to play a lot more golf back in the day. uh, Than I do now. I I loved watching the PGA Tour on Sunday afternoon. Can you. Is there anything better than watching. golf now I love it I stay right with it you know but occasionally it, it really is one of my favorite commercial that Geico commercial where you know if you're a golf announcer he says oh it looks like a sea monster is got him it's something oh that's a kraken yeah he's got him it's, oh, I think he's gonna have extra strokes on this hole so I, but I just I, I love watching golf I loved uh, back in well I still do watching the PGA tour especially the four majors in the Ryder Cup 
And as a young man, I, I admired Bernhard Longer from West Germany. He, Bernhard grew up with very little support for his golf game. He just didn't care about it in West Germany before the Germans, Germanys were reunited West and East. I read a long article about him in either Golf Digest or Golf Magazine, and I became a fan. It, it, it was long before I knew that we were always, always supposed to be chanting, USA, USA. In other words, it was pre-Sevy Ballesteros, for those of you who know golf. In 1985, I was so excited. I was watching the Masters, and Longer was winning. It was a great day, and he pulled through. He won the Masters. During the interview after the, the match, the announcer asked something like, Bernhard, what did you think when you looked at the leaderboard and you saw your position? And he replied something like, I turned the corner at the clubhouse, and I looked at the leaderboard, and I said, and then he used our Savior's name in vain. And just imagine, I was so discouraged. I was so disappointed. Longer went on to win the Heritage Open in Hilton Head, South Carolina the next week. But I no longer cared at this point. Fast forward to 1993. Eight years later, and Bernhard Longer won the Masters again. The last day of which was on Easter Sunday, or the last day of which was Easter Sunday. Oh, uh, this interview was quite different from the first when they said, well, Bernhard, what does it mean to win the Masters twice? And he said, oh, the greatest thing about this win is that it occurs on Easter, the day that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rose from the dead. <laughs> what happened? Well, after the Masters and the Heritage Bernhard Longer went into a deep depression because sometimes the only thing more difficult than losing the big one is winning the big one. He had reached the pinnacle of golf, but he was surprisingly unfulfilled. He started attending a little Bible study on tour that Larry Nelson led. Many of you know Larry Nelson was a strong believer. Many of you never heard of Larry Nelson. I mean, sounds familiar, like a familiar name, but you don't know. But he was especially impressed with John 3, 3, where Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you have any hope of heaven, you must be born again. And then three to four months later, Bernhard Longer bowed the knee. And trusted Jesus as his savior. And to this day he delights in telling other people his story. And how they too can know Christ. If they just call out to Jesus. Repent of their sins. And call out to Jesus. It's not about good works. It's not about going to church. It's not about leaving your offering. It's not about doing all kinds of good things. Your relationship with God is strictly dependent on. What you do with Jesus. And when you trust Jesus, all of a sudden you go from darkness to light. All of a sudden there is hope in your life. All of a sudden something happens and you start to wonder. But our hope is not found in the circumstances of our lives. It's not realized when things start going like We've always wanted them to. And like we've worked hard for them to go. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And eternity 
with him. Either all that we believe as Christians is a fairy tale. And again, life is meaningless. Or our God both or our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is both creator and redeemer. And this life has meaning beyond anything we can imagine. As Wendell Berry muses, could it be that we are in an eternal story that is happening partly in time? We don't think like that typically. It's this life, it's that life. Maybe it's one story. And it's just happening partly in time. And when we get there, all tears are wiped away. But now, the tears that we cry, the discouragement we endure, the depression, the pain... The chronic physical pain, it's all part of the story. And we've been given hope to endure, not so that everything always falls into place. But the hope one day, (laughs) he will set everything right. Everything that happens in our lives has purpose and meaning. And while our hope in Christ thrills our hearts, it is often the trials of this life that turn our eyes toward the new heavens and the new earth. When we can rejoice in hardships, even persecution, Then we are participating in the living hope that is ours as believers. When Peter wrote his first letter to brothers and sisters who were about to face serious persecution, he provided encouragement to us 2,000 years later as well. 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The opposite of what this life is like. I don't care where you are. There are little reminders, right? Just like that. Just like that. It's different. Greg Bagley and I were talking before the service. His wife Lisa, sick. Julie and Stacy Williford's mom. Julie Will, Stacy Williford. I don't know why all those girls married Will, Will, Will. Just kidding. But how quickly, just like that. It's good. Then it's not. The hope that we have, the inheritance we have, is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it is kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation. Not the one that we enjoy now, but one that is beyond our wildest imagination. 
ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the second advent. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have seen him. You have not seen him. Though you have not seen him. You love him. It's you. You believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Bernhard Longer's life was changed in a moment when he bent the knee and said, I believe. Forgive me, God, for my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me. Your life was changed in a moment at that point. But the salvation of our souls is an ongoing thing. And that day when Jesus returns to earth, hope will no longer be hope. It'll be realized. So, the multiple choice question from the beginning of the sermon again. Which of the following? No way. They all belong. Patience. Resting. Hope, you can't do any of those without humility, expectation, trust, waiting. All of those words, this is the St. Peter thesaurus. They all, they're synonyms, you know, they all, they all point to the same thing. In closing, hear these words from Henry Nowen. Waiting patiently is suffering through the present moment. Tasting it to the full. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, 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 I'm wanting to get it off, get it off. Suffering through the present moment, tasting it to the full, and letting the seeds that are sown into the ground on which we stand grow into strong plants. Waiting patiently always means paying attention to what is happening right before our eyes and seeing there the first rays of God's glorious coming. It's worth reading again, isn't it? Waiting patiently is suffering through the present moment. Tasting it to the full and letting the seeds that are sown into the ground on which we stand grow into strong plants. Definition of strong, God's definition, our understanding may be different than the world's definition of what a strong plant is. Waiting patiently always means paying attention to what is happening right before our eyes and seeing there the first rays 
of God's glorious coming. Amen. Let's pray. So, I suppose um, I never, and I'm, I'm not fishing for anything. I'm not, it's okay. I suppose I never get as many comments as when I preach about pain because everybody, we all have pain. What if, as it is, what if? It's part of God's glorious plan. And our lives in eternity are far superior because of the pain and suffering here. It's the sign of God's favor, Jesus' cross. And we are called to take up our crosses daily and follow Him. There's no way as a believer we can follow Jesus without pain. And sometimes I think even the physical pain. And the emotional stress and the discouragement come from Satan in strong waves against those who walk closely with the Lord. Anything to throw us off, but we have a hope. We have a hope that the world doesn't have. We have a hope of which the world doesn't know and that many Christians fail to embrace and inhabit. Lord, we never really fully understand how great the hope that we have in Jesus is. Until we have come to the end of ourselves. And you tenderly make yourself known to us. And Lord I pray for those who are hurting and suffering this day. Those that belong to Jesus. That you would fill their hearts with hope. That you would. Let them know that this is not all there is. Lord, thank you for protecting our body this week. We were in some close calls. And by your mercy and grace, you held us together. We don't know what's happening when we walk out this morning. But no matter what, our hope is sure, steady. And you know the trouble that we have believing. And so you put that beautiful prayer, expression of the man with the demonic son who cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. We love you imperfectly, but we love you because you first loved us. For those who don't know Jesus, Lord, 
May the Holy Spirit take these words from Scripture, not from me, from Scripture. And then the preaching of the word as well. And burn them onto their hearts. May they know hope and assurance of eternal life in Christ. So we yield ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you. And we thank you. For helping us make sense of all of this. We trust you. And we pray in the mighty and the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Who we look for any day. Come Lord Jesus. We long for you. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.